All right, hi everyone, and welcome back to the Comcast. We're here again this week with a brand new guest and a brand new topic. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Haley. I am the project manager of My Autonomy, My Rights, which is a volunteer for humanity project. Yeah, and can you sort of, before we dive into the questions, because today is a a fun one, guys, we do a mix of sort of open discussion and interview, and today we're doing an interview, but before we dive into the questions, how did you get, you know, into advocacy work? So when I was in high school, I wanted to be in the AmeriCorps, and things kind of kept me from doing that, and so... I decided that this route of advocacy would be the best for me. That's awesome. And everyone knows that, well, I shouldn't say everyone. If you're a new listener, hi, welcome. But this podcast is, you know, centered around LGBTQ mental health and sort of discussing that. And as someone as a part of, you know, as someone who is a part of the community, how would you say that maybe being LGBTQ has affected your mental health, whether that be, you know, in a negative or a positive way? So for sure, it was more of a negative way growing up, for sure, because you got questions, especially with my identification in the community. Well, you should just pick a side or you just want more options or you're faking for attention. Like you get those kinds of things. But now that I'm a grown up, I'd say I find a lot of peace and stability in the community because it's like other people are the same thing you are and you just kind of you know learn that you're not alone and that you can be yourself yeah I mean I I agree in the beginning I've never sort of had an issue with you know being LGBTQ when I came out I was very open about it and I never really attempted to hide it and I would say that you know being a part of the community which this sounds like a redundant sentence but here we go being a part of the community made me feel like I had this second family. I sometimes refer to it as like a found family. I did a whole blog on it. I'll leave that in the show notes. But I think that, you know, sort of accepting your own identity and accepting the identity of others really opens up a whole new world of experiences and love and acceptance. And I think that's one of the great things about the community. And, you know, sort of to shift back to the original topic, how we sort of introduced you to the topic of advocacy, in addition to, you know, being LGBTQ, you're also an advocate. How do you think, you know, this type of advocacy work impacts your mental health? It definitely makes me more like aware of what's going on around me, for sure. Like laws being passed, you know, things of the nature of opinions, politics, even though we don't, you know, dive into politics, like those are still things I'm way more knowledgeable. I know, I don't want to say no more, but I definitely feel like I'm more open to everything and less closed off. Not last week, but the week before that, our episode was sort of focused on how being aware of things in the media can sort of impact your mental health. And I think that like for me doing advocacy work has definitely like I read the news every morning. I didn't used to do that, but I'm like, I got to keep up. I got to know what's going on and what I need to be focusing on and, you know, maybe changes I need to make within myself as well, you know, because being a part of an advocate is, is constantly improving your own thinking, your own mindset. But, you know, for me, it can be stressful some days, like waking up and be like, oh, what is this? Like, I don't like, why is there so much negativity in the news? But it's also good because like being an advocate, you know, that you can really make a difference. 
you know, that, you know, having this information as sad or, you know, maybe as happy as it may be, you know, depending on what the situation is, you can still do something about it and you can still be a part of a movement. And I think that having that sort of solution in front of you at all times, just like, oh yeah, this, this sucks, but (laughs) I do advocacy work and I can make a change and I can reverse this or I can make this better. So for me, I think advocacy work like improves my mental health, even though there are are drawbacks, like having to be more hyper aware of, of things that are going on. And, you know, speaking of things that are going on, (laughs) we have a lot of stuff that's affecting sort of women's health and reproductive rights right now. And how do you think that sort of the idea of sexual health and, you know, abortion or pregnancy or any of those types of things, reproductive health, I guess you could say, affect the mental health of the LGBTQ community specifically. So obviously it affects, you know, women, but you know, what about trans women? What about people who are, you know, bisexual, things like that? How does it specifically affect the LGBTQ community's mental health? My opinion on that would be with things like body dysmorphia and non-binary people and trans men still have uteruses, can still have uteruses. And using terms like woman or female can make them feel very dysmorphic. And so it can, it can make them have a higher sense of anxiety. It can make them not seek care because they're like, well, they're just going to call me a woman and not respect me as myself. So why should I go get help to fix my situation when they're just not going to respect me anyways? Yeah. And that's honestly, no matter what kind of health situation or mental health situation someone is referring to, that's a common issue in the LGBTQ community. There's a significant amount of us within the community that statistically avoid going to the doctors for even the smallest thing, like a cold or, you know, an achy joint or something because they're worried about facing discrimination. It sort of gets into a tricky situation. So it really is important that whether we're talking about just sexual health or, you know, and sexual health can mean anything from like abortion, pregnancy, you know, the concept of uh, STDs and STIs. So I definitely agree with you that, you know, whatever care you're using or whatever care you provide, if you're a provider, it should be inclusive. It should be accepting, you know, people don't go to the doctors to be prosecuted. (laughs) So they go to the doctor to, to heal, not to, you know, get mentally worse or physically worse. What are some measures for like sexual health resources should have in place to sort of remain gender inclusive and or gender neutral? Say people. And then if you have to use terms for like parts of the body, use the term for that part of the body. Be atomically correct. Don't put a binary on it. But if you're doing a procedure on that person that deals with their reproductive organs, definitely let them know that it's dealing with the reproductive organs that they have. I also believe that reproductive health centers like that are called blah, 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 women's clinic or blah, 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 women's center should be called blah, 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 reproductive health, blah, 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 reproductive clinic. Like we don't need to put a binary on a certain type of doctor. I believe that people who do practice in that field should not only give out information that like, for instance, if someone's mass presenting, but they have 
female reproductive organs, they should be given the same information on birth control and safe sex practices. We should have inclusivity of the sex ed in schools that's not heteronormative. Because believe it or not, gay kids, lesbian kids, any kind of kid is going to be sexually active at some point and needs to know how to do that safely no matter what their sexual orientation is. These clinics, centers, whatever we want to call them, also need to give people information about gender-affirming surgeries, gender-affirming therapies, such as HRT, where to find binders and how to wear binders safely for non-binary people with chest dysmorphia or trans men. Because I've heard in the community that the amount of misunderstanding binders has caused people physical harm, and then they can't wear their binder, which helps them feel like themselves. And so they get more depressed or more anxious because they can't be themselves. And they're just like having to wait to be healed. No one gets information on sizing or how long can I wear them? What activities can I wear them through? And I think that that's really important. Yeah. And even though it's, it's slightly off topic, um, binder safety is really important. You can not only cause you know, physical damage to yourself, um, you can develop lung issues, heart issues. You can, during doing certain activities, wearing a binder can actually cause you to break your ribs. It's very important that you feel comfortable in yourself, but it's also, it's more important that your life is safe. So just because, you know, you had brought that up in the show notes, I'm going to add some links in there so you guys can read on binder safety. But, you know, to back, sort of back to the point, I just felt like that was important to sort of highlight there. You talked a lot about a lot of different resources and why these clinics should be gender, you know, neutral, gender inclusive. And it's really not that hard, right? I feel like a lot of people are overwhelmed by the idea of inclusive healthcare or gender neutral healthcare when it's really as simple as, hey, maybe you don't need to slap something pink on everything you have in your office. Maybe you don't need to title every single center, you know, starting with women or female or what have you. Really simple to be inclusive. And it's it literally, you know, costs you nothing. It's actually less words on a sign. So it's actually a pretty easy to achieve. And the effects on the LGBTQ population, the impact and the effects are astronomical. It can make all the difference to know that I am safe and I can go to this clinic and feel accepted for who I am, you know, ultimately that improves your physical health and your mental health. Cause you know, you don't have that constant stress of like, oh, if I get sick or, you know, if I do this or I do that, I have to not only worry about getting healthy, but also worry about, you know, all of the other stuff that comes along with discrimination. So all those resources are really great. And I definitely agree with all of them and, you know, the importance of it, you know, sort of being that Without those resources, you're not only dealing with the physical aspect, but with the stress, with the anxiety, with the depression, with social rejection and institutional rejection. And over time, those things sort of chip at you. And it can be really uh, sort of demeaning and depressing and something that has actually been very well scientifically recorded is that 
when people do have those feelings, when people feel excluded or have anxiety or are depressed and they are LGBTQ, they have a higher risk of engaging in, well, risky sexual behaviors, you know, take that as you will. The more depressed you are, the less you care about taking preventative measures or the less you have the mental energy to even consider using them. You know, there's a lot of things that could be said about it. And I think you mentioned another important point of, you know, sex education in schools being gender inclusive. I mean, because, you know, they they only focus on gender being male and female and heterosexual sexual practices. They don't talk about lesbian, you know, relationships. They don't talk about gay relationships or any of that. So there's definitely a lot to be said on, on that one question as, as well as your response. And you know, right now we need these resources because we don't have them right now, or at least enough of them. And how do you think that like sort of that lack or that deficit of resources for access to abortion or sexual health support, how does that impact the mental health community? We have such little information on it. It's a gender neutral that a lot of people either aren't going to seek care because it's not, because they're going to think, well, I'm a guy and this says woman. Some sites as called crisis pregnancy centers have sections for guys and trans men might be like, well, I'm going to go click on the guys because I identify as a guy and not realize that that's like how to support your partner through an abortion or pregnancy instead of getting there what they need. That's a big deal. Another thing and just in general for anyone who is seeking sexual health or abortive care is it's highly stigmatized, highly. And I can't imagine being a member of the trans mass community or the non-binary community and having to go in and get well woman checks because it's called a well woman check. But why don't we just call procedures what they are or call checks what they are? Instead of being like, well, this is your well woman visit. How are you today? You know, I have to say just like the whole situation in terms of, you know, the the whole lady doctor thing. Like it's a, guys, it's an OBGYN. Like (laughs) let's just, we all can say a few letters. It's an OBGYN. And, you know, that's so just like, easy thing to say. Like, why are we saying lady doctor? It reminds me of like the issue with like, why are you still saying secretary? They're an office manager. They're not your secretary. It's like secretaries do, you know, if you want to, I don't like saying the word secretary, but you know, secretaries, traditionally the word is like, oh, you take a phone call. It's like, no, people who used to be called secretaries did all kinds of things and they managed the office. So now we call them office managers. It's sort of the same thing when you think about, you know, the term prostitute or you think about the term hooker it's like they are called sex workers and it's like it's really not that hard it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to change your vocabulary you know even certain words are taken out of our vocabulary on the daily we don't say slurs that are you know rude that I'm not even going to mention they're like a because I would never say them and b because they're rude but you know we don't say those things So there's just like, it's a few changes in your words and boom, you can make a lot of people feel more included and feel safe. I mean, that's just my, my opinion on it. I really don't think it's that difficult, um, but some people do. Some people find that really mentally challenging to, to overcome. 
But my, my point is, you know, because of all of these, you know, discriminatory policies or discriminatory beliefs, I guess, that society holds, you know, the LGBTQ population is more vulnerable to, you know, risky sexual behavior. They are more vulnerable to sexual assault. They are more vulnerable to, you know, not knowing safe, safe sex practices getting um, STIs and STDs, and also they're less likely to have healthcare, which is another barrier to any kind of healthcare, you know, like not having health insurance is a barrier to health and to getting healthcare, which, you know, big brain moment with, with that sentence. But something in terms of this topic that is really an issue is because LGBTQ people are more susceptible to all of those things, as well as, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, bipolar disorder, the list goes on. They are also more vulnerable to, um, I feel like post-pregnancy is not the right word. I feel like I'm, I'm missing something here. Post, what is it? Postpartum? Yeah, it's post, so postpartum depression, LGBTQ are more likely to experience that. You know, why do you personally think that is? And, you know, what would you, what do you have to say on that? I actually disagree with you about the postpart. Now, postpartum, yes, more trans men and non-binary people probably do experience postpartum because they have to carry that part just like is in society thought of as very feminine the rest of their life. But I think a lot of people who go and seek abortion who are part of the LGBTQ community, deal with a lot of prenatal depression, anxiety, because you're like dysmorphia, you know, all these things, body dysmorphia, uncertainty. Are they going to even allow me to have this? Because I look like a guy and I'm pregnant. Like, are they going to allow me these services? Like, you you really have to think about how these people feel so scared and vulnerable because they they don't know and something that I think shouldn't be the societal but is societally thought as feminine like pregnancy when it's 2022 there are seahorse dads like why are we still putting this femininity label on pregnancy why don't we just call it pregnancy? Because anyone can have a baby. Why do pregnancy videos or pregnancy ads always have women? They don't have non-binary people who may want to have kids. They don't have trans men who may want children. And they don't have lesbian couples that are pregnant. When, when it's a family planning commercial or website, it's usually women. They don't show gay cut. They don't have like a resource for gay couples and surrogacy and adoption. That's part of family planning. They don't have an AI and sperm donor list for lesbian couples. That's part of family planning. No, instead they have a list of things for straight women, people who identify as women. They don't have a list for people who don't identify as women of how things like top surgery can affect breastfeeding like they do not have things like that it is literally just heteronormative information that needs to be stopped because it is unhealthy and not right there's people who aren't heteronormative and aren't the standard binary that we see in the 1950s and 
onwards till close to 2010. Like, we, but that's the information we're still given. We're still given information from 1950s to 2010s on things like family planning. You know, I sort of already had mentioned that, you know, we have less access to healthcare. And I mean, a part of that is because there is, uh, you know, both A, a double standard and, you know, B, just discrimination in, in general and disadvantage, inherent disadvantages that the LGBTQ community is put, like have to deal with. And it's, you know, whether that be higher rates of poverty, higher rates of homelessness, the majority of youth who are homeless right now are LGBTQ. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's like, like something like 50, a little over 50% are homeless of, of youth who are homeless are LGBTQ. And that is, you know, just one example, but there's, you know, I could keep rattling off statistics, but nobody's here to listen to math and nobody wants that. But, you know, all of that, that we covered, in addition to sort of the general discrimination that the community faces, you know, we sort of would, how would you, how would you put it? The minority stress theory comes, came to thought a lot as we were talking throughout this conversation, um, which for those of you who don't know what minority stress theory is or MTS or M, wait, minority stress theory, MST, those of you who don't know who, what MST is, it's essentially saying that minorities experience higher rates of stress and anxiety and mental health disorders, you know, not just because they're biracial, not just because they're black or Asian, not just because they're gay or lesbian or, you know, what, what, what may have you that can makes you to be considered a minority. It's not just the fact that you're a minority. It's the fact that all these other factors are at play against you. It's the fact that yes, you know, you are LGBTQ, but, and you face discrimination based on your sexuality and your gender identification, but you also face discrimination in housing. You also face discrimination in healthcare and education, you know? I mean, even, you know, like traveling, like travel agents. I've heard stories of like, like what? This person wants to pay and go to Prague. You're not going to like, like help them. We just want to make a cake for our wedding and you're not going to let us do that. And that's sort of, you know, and especially when you start talking about people who are part of multiple minority groups. So uh, people who are people of color who are LGBTQ, you know, all of that, they face higher rates of stress as well. Sorry, when you said that, all I could think about was everyone wants to eat at Chick-fil-A, not just straight, straight heteronormative people. (laughs) Oh my gosh. As a, as a, Vegetarian, I, I, I can say before I was a vegetarian, and I hate to admit this, guys, but I, I, I mean, I wasn't always a vegetarian. I used to, I used to, you know, spend some money on that Chick-fil-A chicken, okay? I used to be a, a you know, a Chick-fil-A goer, if you will. But yes, I do agree. It's like, you know, like, why? Just let, every, everyone wants to eat chicken, okay? You know, and it's just, it's, I mean, it's a metaphor, right? Like everyone wants to enjoy what everyone else wants to enjoy. And that, you know, is a free country. You know, we should be able to do that. And you make great points about not interfering with other people's bodies in terms of the double standard. And the reason why the double standard exists is for no logical reason other than the fact that people with political or religious agendas or personal agendas maybe 
you know, just don't like the LGBTQ community. And, you know, that is an, their own personal problem. I think that everyone should go to therapy, but especially those people. <laughs> like I have to go to therapy because other people won't go to therapy and then I have to interact with them. And that's sort of how I feel like the LGBTQ community, it's like we have to deal with all of this trauma and stress and anxiety and depression because nobody else wants to deal with their hate and their whatever reasons they may have for being discriminatory. And I don't feel like that's that's fair and it impacts us a lot, you know, but that's the whole point of being an advocate is to make people aware of that. Like, you know, all of this discrimination doesn't really have much to do with you as it does, you know, whatever insecurities or preconceived biases that, you know, your haters have. And I would just say, like, you know, it has, it has nothing to do with you. You know, everybody who I have this conversation with and the listeners, I often say this, but for you, if you could say one thing to all the listeners right now, what would that be? You are allowed your sexual health care, physical, normal health care, like getting your blood pressure checked and your vitals, and you are allowed mental health care. And you are not alone. You are not alone in the fight. You are not alone in feeling left alone. I feel like so much of society has made people feel like they're alone and you're not alone. Absolutely. And if you sort of need a community, if you want to, you know, feel like you're a part of something, you're always welcomed here at Calm with our program. Anybody who has a story to share, anybody who wants a space to be themselves and be free and, you know, just talk, you're welcomed here. And we want to, we want to hear from you. We want to see what you have to say. We want to hear what you have to say. I guess it was a podcast. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to read what you have to say. So if you want to be a part of Calm, you can go to www.thecomblog.com slash join. And literally all you have to do is be like, hey, yo, I want to talk or I want to write a blog. And we're like, perfect. You're on. Like there's not a screening process. And if you just want to keep up with us in general, you can follow us on Instagram at the dot com dot blog and i say this every single episode and i will say it again this is the eighth time i'm saying it this is the eighth episode hate the handle it is obnoxious why are there so many dots why is it so long trust me i have all of those questions too but everything else was taken you can also follow us on twitter at the calm i want you to know that calm is in all caps so the is lowercase Calm is in all caps because apparently I'm just screaming today. And then blog, which is all lowercase. And that's sort of all the resources that I have. Obviously, I'll link more in the show notes. And if you listened all the way through, you can get service learning hours through our partnership with Humanity Rising. For more information, you can go to humanityrising.org. And that's all the resources that I want to sort of plug. What about you? Do you have any resources that you want to tell the listeners about? So I am currently working on my project with Volunteer Humanity called My Autonomy, My Rights. And we are looking for volunteers to end the stigmatization of reproductive health. Yeah, if you guys are interested, I'll leave the link to the sign up Google form that we have. Fun fact, I, I don't I don't know how many times I've mentioned this already, probably one or two, but I'm actually the CEO and founder of Volunteer Humanity, the organization that Haley here is doing her project through. Um, so I'm really excited for that. You guys can go to www.volunteerhumanity.com dot org not dot com it's dot org this time we're professional slash projects to learn more about her project or you can do slash volunteer to volunteer with us so definitely come out and you know help out Haley if this is something that you're passionate about and if you're over the age of 18 and with that I think that's all we have 
Bye, everyone. Bye.